it's like he looked like he couldn't stand up, but he somehow <laughs> managed to hit 21 or 22 home runs in the round. Yeah. You know, he's never been over one home run per nine in his career. And even in the, and in the current Super Bowl environment, whether that's more valuable, I think it 100% has to be, right? You know, Tusker Hernandez has hit two home runs today, but that's just despite us. And welcome once again to Artificial Turf Wars, where we can't believe we've been crazy enough to do this for 150 episodes. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined perpetually by Joshua House. Josh, how's it going? <laughs> We're just always together. Yeah, for exactly one hour a week, uh, counting the time we talk before the podcast. But that's okay, because it's, it's a very effective hour. I was actually just, I had that last minute inkling to make you introduce the podcast just to throw people off, but I backed away. <laughs> can't can't mess with the system no and the system is uh is to talk about the blue jays for uh, a goodly amount every week and we're going to begin doing that by talking about the happiest day i think uh that the blue jays have had all year which was the home run derby featuring vladimir guerrero jr and way too many home runs but we did count them all um there was some chit chat about Bo Bichette and what he's doing to get to the majors which uh piqued uh, our interest uh we have the uh major league club the middle infielders uh especially the ones who you know might get traded they're they're doing things uh edwin jackson has been designated for assignment which uh resulted in some other roster moves the jays made a waiver claim on an endlessly punnable player's name uh probably they didn't make it for that reason but that's what i'm going to use it for uh then we have of course uh trade candidates and whether they are able to play and get traded and we have your questions, which you I've read ahead to your questions, which I don't, you know, sometimes we just like to take them cold. But I read ahead. You people are thinking deep thoughts this week. And lastly, we're going to talk about the fact that there may be more than one baseball commissioner who dislikes the game of baseball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let us start with the home run derby, which I can genuinely say was an exciting event. It was awesome. I think we gave a gold star to the Pullman Derby last year, actually, for this format. Yeah, the format's been going since 2015, but it, it really, uh, now that I think the players know, well, first of all, there's a million-dollar prize this year, so that was pretty crazy. But now that the players know, you know, that they can, they really got to air it out in those first couple rounds or they're not going to advance, um, there's some real... Uh, letting loose that's going on right off the bat nobody's sort of laying back and, and taking it slow anymore no and it just it just makes it so much better none of this nope no good take 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 <laughs> take swing take swing swing take take yeah that's long gone and i think uh you know when stanton and judge were going at it in miami that was pretty crazy um but this took it to a whole other level because of the playoff format which i i never thought we would get to a playoff in the early rounds much less a playoff that went to like what i guess triple overtime triple overtime is what you yeah. would call that um so props to vlad jr for you know airing it all out and it was uh cody bellinger right no, it was Jock Peterson. So, Jock Peterson. I'm like, wait a minute, that's the wrong name. So, 
I could not believe Jock Peterson was not intimidated by what he saw every time that Vlad got to hit first. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, actually. So Vlad sets the record in the first round, which I think we should mention, which is actually pretty hilarious. It could be, it could be a do-over, but they, they did it over themselves. The Rangers put out a tweet before the Derby. It's like, try to top this. And it was like <laughs> Hamilton hitting 28. And then, and then, and then uh, Vlad did it in the first round. Um, but... And then they're like, oops. <laughs> <laughs> and then so, Jock Peterson ties it in the... the well, no, uh, so Vlad did it again yeah. to start the second round, and then Jock tied it. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. So apparently 29 is very doable. I think if next year nobody does 29, everyone's going to be like... Well, obviously, if the ball is a different ball, because that's a whole other <laughs> issue. But, uh, yeah, I think there's going to be some disappointment if nobody hits 29 home runs in a round. Um Kind of some weird stuff going on at Fox where the stadium scoreboard and the Fox scoreboard were different and all this other stuff. It's like, uh, okay, just as long as it gets exciting by the end. The my, my wife and my daughter are not, you know, sit down and watch a whole game baseball fans. They were literally, my wife was bouncing up and down in her seat knowing it was Vlad and he was a Blue Jay and, and it was this third round of overtime and was he going to make it or not. It was it was hilarious for me, but it was also, I think that's the way a lot of people felt uh, who were our Vlad Jr. fans, that this was really an, a fun but stressful thing to watch happen. Yeah, by the way, the same thing happened in my two-person household <laughs> with the, the non-baseball fan enjoying it, right? It, it was It was a show. It was an epic show. And yeah, it was stressful and tense, and I couldn't believe that I cared what was happening in the home run derby. And 2.6 million people watched it, right, which I'm sure helped. But yeah, it was it was awesome. Like Peterson and Vlad just completely stole the show, which made it really unfortunate that Peterson did not get to advance. Yeah, and it, and it also made it unfortunate that we I, you pretty much knew that whoever made it out of that pairing was going to have a heck of a time being in good form for whatever the final round would hold. Yeah, I think there's a bit of a flaw in the system, by the way, too. So the way it's set up is like you're seated, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not, you're never reseated. So it should be that whoever has the higher home run total from the prior round goes last. Right, to ensure the tension keeps building. No, not even about tension, but just so that the rest gets equalized. So like, for example, like Pete Alonso, mm-hmm. the first round, he's facing off Carlos Santana, who hit 13, I think it was. And he walked him off. Like, he, you know, he hit it and he was done. Didn't have to use his full time. The second round, he was facing uh, Ronald Acuna. He walked him off. Didn't have to use his full time. Right? So, like, yeah. he kept getting the advantage of extra rest. And then he didn't have to face the triple overtime, which obviously that just happens. But, you know, it should be like whoever's the most home runs gains the advantage of extra rest in the next round. Right. Because then your chances of walking off your weaker seed are, are better as well. Not just like getting more time between, but chances are you're going to, yeah, I I, I think you're right. And you're also just not gassed. (laughs) Right. Which obviously Vlad was. I've never seen a guy swing so hard from every part of his body, but the ones he should be. He just looked like he was flinging the bat out there. I'm like, I'm glad they're coming in at like 50 miles an hour. It was amazing though. Like he, I think I put a tweet. It's like, he looked like he couldn't stand up, (laughs) but he somehow managed to hit 21 or 22 home runs in the round before his extra time. Uh, the other part that I thought was <clears throat> coincidental but great was the massive video board and Vlad being a right-handed hitter. The massive video board in left field meant that every home run he pulled, you got to watch a video of him basically finishing his swing and watching his home run fly out 
on the video board while it landed. It was just like, that's the perfect spot for that. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, and yeah, the left-handed hitters didn't get that advantage or, or the guys who were hitting it to center didn't, you didn't see that repeated over and over again. So that was wild. So wild that CBC, I'd like to plug myself. CBC wanted me to talk to them on uh, CBC Toronto about it. And I did. So that was fun um, to talk about something that a Blue Jay did right this year. Yay. Also, shout out to Pete Alonzo for uh, donating his some of his winnings in that $1 million prize to charity. Uh, 10%, I think. Yeah, five to one charity and five to another. I, that, for me, took a little bit of the sting out of out of uh, Vlad losing, knowing that uh, he really was thinking of someone uh, or people other than himself right away when he was uh, when he was coming off of that victory. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, the, it sucks a bit for Pete Alonso that, like, he did this great thing and he won and, you know, it helps that he won a million dollars. I'm sure that you know, could take some <laughs> of this thing away for him too. But, you know, it sucks a bit for him that, like, he won this thing and no one's talking about that. Like, no one afterwards was talking about Pete Alonso. All the highlights were Vlad Jr. and then Jock Peterson. Yeah. And I think um, the only uh, – the other consolation that Pete has is that he has, you know, 31 of the real homers. Or maybe it's 32 now. And uh, and Vlad has eight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he went today as 474 feet. Yeah. And he wore the loudest jacket I've ever seen in the clubhouse um, by a, a home run leader. Yeah. By the way, just, you know, we're talking about super rookies and I'm just going to interrupt this with like a little, this preemptive, like, oh, not a do-over, but so Chris Paddock is pitching. He's a rookie for the Padres. He was throwing a perfect game into the sixth and Fernando Tatis Jr. blew it with an error. Oh. Rookies all around. They can they can save you and they can ruin you. Yeah, and then he got double play right away. Yeah, <laughs> so he's still, got, still got the no no. Um, you know we didn't even touch on this, but uh, we should. Uh, we'll come to it after questions. I was just thinking about another baseball story that we probably should have touched on that's not on this list. Um, Bo Bichette though is a story that was was in our front end here. Uh, what and whom are talking about Bo Bichette, who is still in AAA and tearing it up? Well, Bo Bichette first, uh, I'm not sure if you saw it, but he put out a tweet, which came out on t- Monday night, I guess it would have been, mm-hmm. and or Sunday night, so it was July 14th, yeah. No point in chasing an outcome when you can't control that outcome. Pretty clear what he was talking about. Yeah. Yeah, he, and, he, he would like to be called up. Thank you. Yeah, so then David Singh, who writes for Sportsnet, went down to talk to him about it. And Bichette said, quote, everything I've done, I've done everything they asked me to do. I've performed, I've put up numbers. I've gotten better offensively, defensively, base running as an athlete, as a teammate. Everything they've asked me to do, I've done for the past three years. So if I'm not ready in their mind, there's nothing new that they need to tell me I need to get better at. I feel like that's not going to play real well with upper management. I think it's tough. Like, so... It's kind of hard because you go down to this guy, right? Yeah. And you ask him, like, should you be in the big leagues? And, well, what's, what else is he going to say? Of course. <laughs> I mean, the weird thing is, like, you know, the, the, you know, the question wasn't really, like, are you ready for the big leagues, right? I think everyone would essentially agree that, yeah, he probably is. By the way, he went on and hit two home runs today. So it's like, you know, backed up his words a bit. Uh, but it's more that, like, right now, it's just the roster, we talked about this, there's not the playing time really available 
given everything that the team is trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think I understand why he's frustrated. Don't get me wrong. I a hundred percent, but the business of baseball, um, this isn't even about service time, right? <laughs> this, this is about trying to extract some value from possibly Eric Sogard and Freddie Galvis. Yeah. I mean, that that's exactly what it is about. <laughs> the second you, I mean, look, I, it's hard to say how much it would really hurt or not, but like you want them playing every day and continuing to rake going into the deadline. Right now, Freddie Galvis and Eric Sogard are putting on, you know, a show for, for prospective suitors. I mean, Sogard has tailed off a little bit this month, but Galvis is hitting 354 with a 385 on base and a 667 slugging this month. You have a guy who can play short, who's walking a bit, hitting for power, and making contact. That's a guy you might think is a good addition. But if he sits down and he goes ice cold, you lose whatever minimal value Freddie Galvis might have. Yeah. Yeah, if you if you want to really trade these guys for assets, understanding that you're not going to get, you know, someone's number five or number six prospect or anything, you know, but you're going to get a, a real, uh, you know, a talented player who you might be able to use for something next year um, or later, less likely later this year. Um, yeah, you, you, I think you have to let them play. And in the grand scheme of Bo Bichette's career, the trade deadline is, you know, what, three, uh, is it even three weeks away? Two weeks. Two weeks away. Um, those two weeks are not going to affect Bobochet's value or Bobochet's development at all, whether he's in AAA or whether he's in the bigs. It's, right. It's not relevant to his, you know, potentially 10, 15 year major league career. Whereas, yeah, everything else is much more immediate. So this roster was not constructed to, to call up Bobochet. I think maybe he's, um, looking at also through the eyes of, well, uh, Gurriel Jr.'s there and Vlad's there and um, you know, all these these other guys, McKinney and Drury and, and that all these guys I played around, they all got a shot at the bigs, and I'm still here hacking away, destroying triple A pitching. But I think he has a very good point though, that he's ready. Like there's nothing else that he needs to do. And that's essentially what he was saying. It wasn't that it's crazy that I'm not there. It's yeah, I'm ready. Like there's nothing it's like uh, there's nothing else for me to learn down here. And no, that's good. I mean, you want a guy to think that he's ready, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. if you tell him he needs to work on something else, then he needs to do that. But from the sounds of it, there's no complaints about anything he's doing. But yeah, it's just the second one of those guys is traded, I expect Poe will be up. Well, yeah. Yeah, he, he he is being blocked, but only in the, you know, the shortest term way. And yeah, I mean, even I can see even after the trade deadline, um, if it's if it doesn't look, you know, like there's any interest in, in one of those guys, um, especially Galvis, for some reason they can't move Galvis for something, I would still think Bichette gets the call and starts to get playing time over top of Galvis. Um, yeah, at some I agree point completely. Yeah. It's not Galvis's production, as good as it's been of late, that is keeping Bo down. It's, you know, what once the trade kicker, essentially, it's, you know, it's not the right word, but, what, what, you know, once that trade incentive is gone there's no reason one of the interesting things with galvis is that he does have an option so i wonder if that could actually make him more valuable to some clubs i would think so for sure yeah. guys who play shortstop hard to find um who are competent at other things <laughs> yeah 
So, uh, yeah, we, we actually had a note about those specific middle infielders, Sogard and, uh, and Galvis, and, well, I suppose um, those were the trade candidate ones. Uh, Biggio has been holding his own, too, interestingly enough. Yeah. I mean, Biggio's overall numbers are okay. You know, 225 batting average, but the 347 on base is pretty good. The 394 slugging is a bit disappointing. You had that that little bit of a power stretch, which hasn't really continued. I mean, that, that's kind of, we've talked about this before, though. The same thing as when we talked about with Tellez is that there's not enough contact in the profile that without the walks and the power that he's going to maintain a regular role. In Tellez's case, he didn't have the walks. In in Biggio's case, the power isn't quite there right now. Yeah, I, I think that that was the adjustment a lot of people thought he had made. And, um, you know, he's he's only, uh, you know, he's, he's only been up how long? <laughs> um, but the walks are there. That's the crazy part is, uh, other than Justin Smoke, he walks more than anybody on the team by a long shot. So, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a skill that's probably not going to go away. So that, that's probably going to keep him here longer than, than Rowdy has been here. Yeah, I, I don't think BGO is going back down. Fair I just think that it's just something that we need to be watching out for. But yeah, but Sogard, so Sogard's been a little cooler lately, but he's still been extremely useful. And he just hit his 10th home run, which, I mean, Eric Sogard has double digit home runs. Like His, his career total, it, if I'm not mistaken, is 11 before this season. Yes. Yeah, he's up to 21 <laughs> total career home runs. and He's got 10 of them this year. He's been a major leaguer since 2010. <laughs> so well, ridiculous. he didn't play in the bigs in 2016, but yeah. Um, the other guy I think that deserves a shout out here is uh, Danny Jansen, who, after a very, very slow start um, today in arbitrary endpoints, um, if you go back 30 days from yesterday's box score, um, by weighted runs created plus and by WOBA, Weighted run created plus of 169 and Woba of 423. He's actually the team's best offensive player, even better than Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I think he's among the best in baseball, actually, over that point. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Danny Jansen does have it in him, apparently, because th- 30 days is a not insignificant time to stay, you know, hot. No, and you know, it came with some adjustments to the way he was holding his bat and the way he was approaching the the ball and... You know, when mechanical adjustments make differences, you kind of take take notice and it's like, okay, how sustainable is this? It's like with Gurriel, you know, trying to get the ball out front more. And then all of a sudden he started raking. It's like, okay, this is interesting. Let's see how the adjustments go backwards. And so far, the adjustment back to Jansen hasn't happened. He just continues to rake. His overall numbers are still not great, but that's because he was just so bad at the start <laughs> of the season. But it's great. It's great to see. And especially with the, the improvements that we've seen in his defensive performance this year, you know, he looks like a major league catcher, like a good one. And on a team where, like I said last week, on a team where most guys strike out 25% of the time-ish, um, even including you know Gurriel Jr., who is good, uh, Jansen only K's like 11% of the time in that last month where he's had everything clicking. That's uh, something surprising in today's game, and that's one of those skills, hopefully, that, that you know doesn't have everything to do with fiddling around with your stance. If you're, if you're confident and you're picking this, you know, um, you're assessing the strike zone well, that tends to be something that carries over, just like walks. He doesn't walk much, but yep. <laughs> he doesn't strike out. Uh, who else did we have to talk about in that? Uh, so that's, that's the, the highlight performers. Um, notice we didn't mention Lourdes, or, um, Vlad Guerrero Jr. there. 
Yeah, he's still not getting it done. He's still hitting the ball on the ground way too much. Yeah, and I wonder how long it will take him to make that adjustment, because I'm sure he can make that adjustment. Um, I mean, the, the derby showed what happens when he puts the ball in the air. Yeah, it just never comes down <laughs> till it hits a solid object. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still, there's no reason to believe it won't happen. Just, you know, his pedigree is too good. But, you know, it, it is a little disappointing that it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Do you see him him being given taken back to AAA for you know the same reason that Lourdes was? Just I'd be say, shocked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Vlad showed that there wasn't really anything left for him to do in AAA. He was just destroying the league. Guriel never did that. Right. Guriel came up more out of they needed a guy. Well, like last year when he came up, that's why he came up. And then he wasn't so good. Went back down, and then they needed him again, and he was great. And he's been. You know, when he's been going well, he's been really going well. And when he's not, he's been not. Vlad has just been kind of okay the entire time. Yeah. And he continues to be below average-ish okay over the last month or so. So who knows? He could just pick it up one day and decide to be better. And we we won't ever know 100% why that happens. Yeah. All right. Edwin Jackson. The great Edwin Jackson experiment may be over in Toronto because he has been DFA'd. <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked if it's not. not. Neither would I, because at this point, would I, as another team, desperately pick Edwin Jackson up off the waiver wire, given what he did with Toronto this year? No. Yeah, well, no, I don't think I was going to pick him up on waivers. It's just more whether he wants to, you know, he can, he can just choose free agency, right? So he might choose to try to sign on with another team. But the only reason he was DFA'd in the first place was because he needed a a 25-man spot. It wasn't a 40-man issue. So I could see him re-signing with, you know, some idea that he might come back in some kind of long relief role. But if he wants to start, I don't think it's going to be here. Um, and the corresponding move with the Edwin Jackson DFA, and I, he may be the player I'm going to miss least from this year, by the way, Edwin Jackson, um, is Jacob Wagesback, who's back and starting. And he did, I, I thought he did, Fairly well in the first four innings against uh, the Red. Do I want to say the Red Sox? But I'm probably wrong. Nope. No. And then it didn't go as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that Wagaspak's event, I don't think he's a starter long term. I mean, just you look at his profile in the way he's performed when he's performed well and performed not so well. You know, he's a guy that is good for a couple of innings and then not. And. You know, I, that that seems very much like a, you know, a bulk reliever or a long or, or, or a long man of some type. And you know, it doesn't help that he's had three outings against Tampa, Boston and Boston. <laughs> it's not not the easiest three teams to face. But, yeah, I, I think that like he's a guy who throws three innings at a time, maybe even a fourth inning, depending on how the, the lineup freaks out when he starts. He can be very useful. I just don't know if he's a guy that you really want facing a lineup twice or three times. He has that second time through the order penalty that future relievers do. But he's useful. I mean, yeah. I, I think that he's a piece that can be relied on to get some outs if he's you know, not overworked. Cool. Uh, and then the other move uh, that the Blue Jays uh, managed uh, to pick up, the endlessly punnable Wilmer Font. You're not going to drop one on us? Just... Um... I the, it, the Times New Roman they are changing in Toronto. 
<laughs> they they couriered him right over. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's good. Are we all done with these? Ah, did you... oh, okay. Geez. Yeah, see, you invited me. I Don't wanted know one. Why. <laughs> you can't pun once. Come on. All right. So Wilbur Font is, I'm told, interesting, but not fantastic in any way. <laughs> interesting, but not fantastic in any way. I mean, there was a very funny tweet from Emily Williams. She's on Twitter. Emily at Emily Don Love, but it's a locked account. It was like if you're trading with the Mets, like it's why even bother waving the white flag or something like that. <laughs> trading for a Mets pitcher. Uh, um, he was a Blue Jay previously, right? He had been signed as a minor league free agent. Uh, at some point, he did. I don't think. He, yeah, in 2016, he pitched for the Blue Jays in the minors a little bit. Yeah. He's never had a ton of success in the bigs. You know, it's not really worked out for him he was actually once a top prospect but you know they're going to use him in an opener role and you know like that's kind of something that this team doesn't really have a guy who's good for that right i mean you look at david phelps whose fastball never really came back he's still throwing around 92 93 miles an hour somewhere in that range mm-hmm. and they don't have a ton of guys who throw that hard font throws pretty hard so you know, if you're just going to have to like, okay, come out and just throw gas for an inning, you, know, you can get it up to 98, 99, 100. That's pretty useful. They don't have a lot of guys to do that. And the other one is Daniel Hudson, who's currently, you know, on the back end of the bullpen. Right. Desperately trying to save the games that Ken Giles cannot, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so, uh, somehow I, oh yeah, we have, we have a question about Roddy Tellez. So we'll come to his situation at that point. Trade candidates. Number one trade candidate remains Marcus freaking Stroman, who continues to be very, very good and very disgruntled, possibly. And every time he goes to, like, New York, the media goes gaga over the fact that he might be traded. Well, I think the media's been going gaga over the fact that he might be traded everywhere he goes, including in Toronto, which I think is part of why you might see some of that, you know, not so happiness is he does seem to legitimately like it here i don't know how much of that is public image or not but i I, i'm willing to take it at face value i mean he does have tattoos of the skyline on him a not subtle move if you (laughs) you can you can get a lot of things tattooed on yourself that aren't tied to the specific city where you play baseball so yeah that's fair um he identifies with this city obviously uh on the other hand I, i think all Baseball players should expect to be traded at some point. Sure, and that's just part of the game, and he understands that. I mean, it's not—it's not like he just assumes that he's going to be with the team forever, no matter what happens. But I think it's—you know—he kind of wants to stay, and the idea that he's almost certainly not going to has to bother someone a little bit. But it doesn't seem to be bothering his performance. No. So, where is he? I'm just going to see what he's got—the ERA for the year. 3.25. And he continues to rack up innings. And, yeah. And, and so this was po- the question that was posited by Nick, actually, you know, Nick Dyka, who's often a host on the show, about whether his home run suppressing skill, which he definitely has one. You know, he's never been over one home run per nine in his career. And even in the, and in the current Super Bowl environment, whether that's more valuable, I think it 100% has to be, right? 
yeah if, if you can prevent guys from scoring the the main way that they score now i would think that teams would be their ears would perk up yeah and you know like that's extremely vital especially at the deadline where you know, you're picking up a guy and for a post in a playoff series a home run here a home run there and a game can be over stroman it he does give up his sure amount of hits although he's doing better this year than normal but he's not going to likely give up the big one all that often. And I think that that's something that's pretty valuable. His ground ball rate is actually slightly down from the last few years where it was in the 60-ish percent. He's at 57.9% though. So he still keeps the ball on the ground really well and limits the long ball. So I, I think that teams should really be lining up to trade for him. Yeah, so do I. So, um, yeah, we agree there. And I, I, I don't think anybody thinks that nobody wants Marcus Stroman. I think it's it's all how much can you get for Marcus Stroman, really. Uh, yeah, and there's an interesting thing he's doing too, right? So his home run for fly ball, which you'd expect it would go up because more fly balls are leaving the yard this year, is actually down. Hmm. But that's because his pop-up rate has gone way up. So he gets ground balls and pop-ups. So a lot of weak contact, which is pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, especially if you can put a competent infield behind him, right? Yeah, which obviously is a lot better this year than it has been in the past. And some teams that will be trading for him would be even better. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's who you're shopping him to, right? Is someone who, who has a couple players who can vacuum up all those ground balls, you know, confidently. So we'll see. Uh, the other trade candidate is Ken, 100 miles. We used him three nights in a row. Probably that was a bad idea. Giles. Well, apparently he got hurt. And then a massage, not from pitching. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I who knows what it is. Um, but the good news is he threw a bullpen and it was fine. And he's supposed to pitch in today's game while we're recording this. Whether they essentially they said they might use him regardless of the score, just so they can get him back out there and say, "Lucky selfie, see you, <laughs> you can trade for him." He's not broken. Let's go. No questions. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it feels like a weekend Bernie weekend at Bernie's thing where they're waving his arm on the string. <laughs> like he's he's happy, he's waving. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, he's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Ken Giles is dead, but uh, no, yeah, no. It's all but good. these are two really really good trade candidates. So it's gonna be. I mean, they used to have had okay candidates the past couple of years. Like last year, they had Hap, who was well, unfortunately, not didn't pitch very well in July, but he was still one of the better starters. But he's a he was a you know he's a rental, and Donaldson was injured. And the year before that, it was like Liriano. You know, it's like there wasn't the quality that the Jays had this year. Yeah, so you know, I, I think trades are always like you keep thinking they're going to happen, thinking they're going to happen, and then the moment you give up on the idea of them happening, all of a sudden the player's gone. So I feel like that's going to happen again. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, we talk about these two guys a lot, right? When we're talking about the trade candidates. And we talk about a couple of the other ones. You know, we've got Eric Sogard. Midlandfield, right? Sogard and Galvis. They have to be both on the on the block. I could see like five, maybe six Blue Jays getting traded because I think Daniel Hudson absolutely is on the trading block. Yeah, I think it's interesting. that Like last year, we talked endlessly about Joe Smith, right? Because two years ago. Sorry, two years ago. Wow. Um you know, because it seemed like such a no-brainer that he was going to get something back, and he had been he had been exactly that kind of acquisition who could work if you were good, 
you kept him and he, he was useful and if he was if he was bad or if you were bad then uh, he was probably going to be good anyway and you could get him get something for him um in the bullpen we haven't really talked about that other than the closer and and closers are i don't know we, we tend to think of them differently because we're expecting giles to go to a team that needs a closer or a setup man not just a, a bullpen arm right exactly someone's like a really late inning shutdown guy not you know, last year people may forget well, we talked about one of them, you know, Jacob Waggis back. The Jays got him for Aaron Loop, and yeah. they got Corey Copping, who's in the minors for John Axford, who's actually still in the minors for Toronto. You know, so they, you know, these guys who are just bullpen depth help still have some value at the deadline. Now, Hudson's two seven nine ERA is probably a bit misleading. Nothing about his performance is different from the last two years when his ERA was in the fours. I would but hope I, someone's fooled by that. <laughs> but also, but the, the interesting thing is, like, if you use him correctly, the Jays are using him as a full inning pitcher. And that's more the because of the fact they have nobody who's good. <laughs> mm. but, but if you put him against just righties, he dominates righties, right? 211 on base, 314. Sorry, 211 batting average, 314 on base, 322 slugging. But lefties have a 779 OPS, and that includes three of the five home runs he's given up in 70%, sorry, not 70%, 30%. <laughs> 78 plate appearances versus 105 versus righties. Right. So, you know, he's not very good against left-handed, but if you use it against righties, that's a valuable postseason run asset. All right. So we'll keep an eye on those those guys too, as it were. Yeah. And David, just quick one, and David Phelps, who the Jays hold an option on, so people were talking about him, and his ERA is also low. 284. He's thrown, got 13 strikeouts in 12 innings. His velocity is way down. So I could see him getting traded, but it might, it seems like a guy that might be better just pick up his option and use him next year. Yeah, he is, despite his uh, velocity drop, he is still striking out more than a batter per inning, which is not nothing. No, it's not. So I, he could get traded, but I also could see them keeping him. All right. So that is the rundown, as it were, and we're going to come back with your questions and some other tidbits right after this. And that, that was an interlude. I hope you all appreciated it. We have returned, and we have returned with the most uh, important part of the program, at least as far as the six or seven people who ask questions are concerned. Uh, listener questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Uh, Leslie Maxa, at Leslie underscore nope. <laughs> I would like to know the um, origin of that Twitter name. Leslie uh, Nope is a character from Parks and Rec. Now I know. Uh, why all capitals? Who knows? Who are our absolute must-keep cornerstone players among the youngins who have been called up? Right now, I would say just Vlad and Lourdes. I should say, I actually don't know if that's why Leslie does it, but that is the name of a character. Uh, do you want to give this a shot? Um... Yeah. So Kevin Biggio, probably not. You could probably get something for, for Biggio. Um, it's more, it's not for what, who would you get something for? It's who would you be? I, I would be willing to, to trade Biggio for, for pitching yeah. if that's what happened. I think Danny Jansen should probably be on that list because catchers who hit the ball 
and are young and can, you know, do everything else catcherly uh, are pretty hard to come by. So I'm gonna I'm gonna add Danny Jansen to those other two. What do you got? Yeah, I think that's my three. I, I don't think I'd be too worried about any of those other ones that are already here. You know, Teoscar Hernandez, Billy McKinney. Like, there's nothing that <laughs> inspires too much. <laughs> oh no, can't lose that guy. You know, you know, Teoscar Hernandez has hit two home runs today, but that's just to spite us. In fairness, he did it before we said this. Also, Chris Paddock lost his no hitter on a home run, but. uh I, I think that that's, you know, among the guys there, like Bo Bichette, I think, is probably a guy you don't want to trade as well, but he's not on the call-up list, so we can't really include him. Yep. So, yeah, three guys. And then I, I think that Jay should be creative in listening, especially on some of those outfielders, because they still have too many of them. And, and they all have kind of the same problems. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's definitely true. But, like, say you're you're talking to well, the Twins, right? Just for an example. And then they say they'll give you, you know, they won't give you Gratterall, who's their 100-mile-an-hour double-A pitcher in a trade with Stroman. They'll give you, you know, th- three other guys or whatever. Then you're like, well, we want to get that guy. So rather than getting the three other ones for just Stroman, we'll get, you know, Gratterall and two of those guys for Stroman and Teoscar Hernandez or something like that, right? Right. That's the type of thing I think they should be willing to do. I mean, that's my, that an example that might not make sense because the Twins have a loaded outfield, but that concept I think is something they should be willing to explore. Sounds good. All right. Question two. Matt Sweeby at Blue Jay Matt. The current front office have managed to gain small amounts of value in numerous trades, but have also lost a lot of value in the higher value trades like Happ and Donaldson. As a whole, their tra- have their trades gained, lost, or had roughly zero effect on overall player value? Well, it's tough to say that they actually lost value in the Hap trade. I mean, he was a, a pitcher who was two months away from free agency. We don't really know how much was really out there for him. You know, my issue with the trade was not so much what they got back in value. It was just the guys they didn't need, which we were just talking about 10 seconds ago. <laughs> and Donaldson, right, they didn't lose the trade in the sense of it's hard to say this, right? Like, yeah, they traded them a year before, right? But at the time, I think they did well getting someone who's even, you know, throws 100 miles an hour for the injured Josh Donaldson. Yeah, Donaldson is tough because if you look at it in the context of what they could have done a year earlier, they could have traded him for better value a year earlier or they could have extended him. And then what would that look like? Because he's he's doing well again in, in, uh, in Atlanta and they would have looked smart extending him except for that whole period where he was injured. Round and round we go, right? Right. So it's this kind of a weird question to answer. But overall, I think that they've actually done pretty well on trades. I don't think they... The only one you could even say that they, like, really lost was the Hap one. But that's just more because the guys they got didn't do very well. Hap sucks right now. But he was good for the Yankees down the stretch. So, But then he got bombed out in the playoffs. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> It's hard, really, just to say these kind of things. But I think that, in general, their trading record is pretty good. We should bring back the trade value slide rule and uh, figure out how to use that. Basically, if they get anything good for Ken Giles, it will wipe out anything that they've done bad because they got Ken Giles and two useful guys for the under-criminal investigation, Roberto Osuna. Yeah. All right. L at Ellie Ellie Hart. Uh, Ask two questions, an important one and a really important one. So, yep. (laughs) uh, You could ask me the important one, 
And then I'll ask you the really important one. Okay. The first one, so this is the important question. Yep. I can see how this team could have a good enough offense in the next few seasons. Do you see a path to good enough pitching to go with that to be a contender? Um, I think that's going to be, at the moment, without without seeing a couple of, of the trades that we're probably going to see before the end of the season, which might provide one piece that makes more sense, uh, and, and knowing where Marcus Stroman's you know, for sure gone, I still don't see it. And maybe I'm just a pessimist, but um, there there is no anchor to this rotation when Marcus Stroman's gone, except Nate Pearson, who throws... 104 miles an hour, don't get me wrong. But then what do you do with the other four slots in the rotation? I just, I don't, I don't know enough to say. Well, Barucki, I think, is one of them for sure. Okay, so now we got two guys. Yeah, and, you know, I think Patrick Murphy could be. But I think they're going to have to go outside the organization. I think that's yeah. the answer. And then, of course, that means probably giving up some of those other assets that are going to make up part of that good offense. At least one or of them. Or signing free agents. Uh, yeah, can you dream about this team signing free agents? Imagine well, that. Well, they actually talked about this the other day, right? But, I mean, here's the thing, right? We talk about the team signing free agents, and they're not doing that. Look at what they've been doing as a team the last couple of years. Well, you and I have even talked about this. Like, they haven't really been trying to build out this team to be ready. They were just sort of trying to, like, tinker with it while they put their stamp on it because the team was sort of treading water with these old veterans under big contracts and things like that, right? Yeah, and the decks are now going to be clear for 2020. Right. So I could absolutely see them going and signing some pitching. It might not be this coming season, though. It might be the year after. How's that old veteran uh, Troy Tulowitzki feeling? <laughs> I think he's still at home. <laughs> yes, I believe he is. Um, yeah. Did we bet something about how much Troy Tulowitzki would play for the Yankees? If we did, I lost. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now I will ask you the really important question uh, from... L, she says, my significant other did not want to watch Major League. What should their do-over be? Well, first off, I'm impressed with your level of commitment that they are still your significant other after this. <laughs> because that's a deal-breaker for me. But have you ever seen Clockwork Orange or Reddit? Uh, I have seen it. Uh, there, is, there is a very... I know exactly what you're thinking of. There's a very famous scene where... Um, he is uh, he is forced to watch something by having his eyelids clamped open and eye drops dropped in them as as he watches. So that's what you got to do. But then he will actually thank you when it's over, because while it may have been started out as some mild torture, it's actually going to make him laugh and he'll love the movie because it's the greatest movie of all time. And other than the permanent potential eye damage, I think you've got a good plan there, Josh. Yeah. Uh, Disclaimer, do not try any of Josh's advice for do-overs at home. But Thank also, you. No, but, but the actual real do-over, because I don't condone, you know, any of that nonsense. I don't want people have bad associations with the movie. His do-over has to be that he has to sit down and watch any five baseball movies with you, he or she. I shouldn't assume things. I apologize for that. Um, or they. Has to sit down and do and watch five baseball movies. Of your choosing. Row, of your choice. Uh, except Trouble with the Curve, which isn't really a baseball movie, I've heard. Yeah, don't ever, former the original host of this podcast, you and Ross, will go on a twenty minute rant if we allow that concept to continue. So that one, yeah, we're going to include that as not being on the list. You cannot include that in your five. All right. Uh, you want to ask me the next question because I think we've gone way down the rabbit hole there. Yep. Yeah. So from Luke at Split Letters, 
do you think a stint back in AAA will end with Rowdy coming back to the bigs as a more complete hitter? Or is he just going to bounce back and forth for the next few years? Uh, based on his pedigree, I would expect that he's a bouncy back and forth kind of guy. But I don't know these things, um, obviously. But that, that's going to be my gut instinct right there. Yeah, and you know when we were going through the trade candidates, I specifically didn't bring up Justin Smoke because I think the team should give him another year. I think they should extend him. You're ruining the next question. Oh, well, the next question for me is about Edwin Jackson. But yeah, sorry, Kate. We'll read your question. Uh, it sounds like Justin, this is from Kate Stanwick at OK yeah. Stan. It sounds like Justin Smoke wants to stick around and continue to be a leader on this young Blue Jays team. So extend him already. Is there any reason the front office shouldn't do that? I think Josh weighed in pretty clearly there. Yeah, I mean, the reason, the only reason they shouldn't do that is if some team actually offers them something really good for him. But he's a first baseman who's having an okay year. I don't see that happening. So, yeah, I'd give him another year. Just say, hey, like, go be our first baseman again. Yeah, and I mean, if, if in that year someone's really banging on the door or if Smoke is really suffering, well, there are no bad one-year contracts, are there? No, especially not for guys who are well-liked and not bad players. Exactly. So... Obviously, these these questions are in different orders for us. Do we have Dave Church covered yet? I don't believe we do. No. So, Dave asks, what was your favorite Edwin Jackson memory? Now, we're limiting this, of course, to Edwin Jackson as a Blue Jay memories. Mm -hmm. The memory for me, my favorite, is when he was traded for Colby Rasmus. Those 20 minutes? (laughs) Yes, I love that. I was a huge Colby Rasmus fan. Well, that's cool. That is quite the throwback memory. Um, yeah, people didn't remember it. Technically, he was never. Well, I guess he was technically a Blue Jay for about twenty minutes, but he got us whole. He got us Kobe Rasmus. That was awesome. My favorite was the time he got DFA'd in July of twenty nineteen. <laughs> I knew you were going on that one. <laughs> so I'm glad we had a different one. Uh, that was just agonizing to watch him out there, and and I, I'm sure actually, I, I believe he might be better than he showed with the Blue Jays still. He's always been kind of yeah, an enigmatic of pitcher. I'm not saying that that's, you know, I don't like Edwin Jackson. I just didn't like watching what happened to Edwin Jackson when he put on the Blue Jay uniform for like every start. It was just painful. Well, I'm pretty sure that was the one. Well, I know for a fact it was the first time he didn't give up a run as a Blue Jays last outing. But I think it's also the first time he got through three innings without giving up a run. Since, yeah, since like 20... 20- 17 or so? uh it was ridiculous the, those stats were just like wow he's been he was actually pretty good last year yeah uh so i don't know which i don't remember what the the stat was but it was a very long time ago since he got through a three inning or longer outing without giving up a run um much less a home run which it seemed like he gave up at, just as as a courtesy to come into the game so yeah greg's happy he's gone yep. aaron poleski what magical juju does Brandon Drury have to keep his roster spot? The lack of required playing time. Yeah, which means he's not blocking anybody because you can just sit him on the bench. And he's backing up everybody except actually even shortstop somehow. I don't know how that happened, but yeah, that's it. After, he doesn't need to be playing. <laughs> after Russell Martin played shortstop, I don't think we can really rule anything out in Blue Jay land. That seems less weird to me than Brandon Drury being there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's more because I just, they let Roger Martin do whatever he wanted. Uh, and now they let him pitch. But that's somewhere else. 
Okay, did I miss a question in all this? Nope, that's it. Okay, that's it. Thank you for all your questions. Always appreciated from the listeners. Um, start thinking ahead for next week, those of you who haven't asked one yet, because uh, we don't discriminate. If it shows up in the inbox, we try and answer it. Yeah. So, we, this isn't really a do-over. I, I don't have a stinger for this. Um, this falls under Rob Manfred hates baseball in the sense that the commissioner hates baseball, only it's, it's the old commissioner. It's Bud Selig. Bud Selig managed to go on and promote his book on the Dan Patrick show. Um, and he was asked if he, who he considered the true home run king. And here's the quote. Well, I've never really answered that, but I will say this to you. In my mind, even though Bonds holds the record, and I've said records are records, I think you know how I feel about Henry Aaron. Really? (sighs) You know what's a real shame? Is that no one ever gave, put Sealing in a position of authority to make a decision about how the home run record would be treated. Well, I'm glad they didn't. <laughs> or I'm glad sure they did, obviously. They I'm did. glad he didn't I'm glad he didn't do anything about it because it'd be insane if he actually put his belief into practice. Like I, I, this argument's been had so many times that, you know, if if you were gonna do something about the problem in the game and you thought Barry Bonds was part of the problem you had your opportunity to do something 20 years ago and then in this ensuing years and you just sat on your hands the whole time and reaped the profits. Why are you angry about that? Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Like, did he think that Mark McGuire was the single season home run champ? He probably did. He probably just doesn't like Bonds. Also, the whole thing, like Hank, Hank Aaron played in like super greeny land, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Hank, Hank Aaron was enhanced in a different way. Yeah. He was definitely using performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah. Um, also hearing about oh, how he had to suffer through uh, watching Bonds hit the record home run and congratulate him. It was like, boo freaking who? <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorite moments, by the way, as a baseball fan, was watching that. Watching Seelig uh, just, just crum- crumble inside while he shook Bonds' hand? No, not that part. But I, in retrospect, I enjoy that more. But no, just Bonds hitting that home run. Yeah, I I think Barry Bonds, uh, as we've I think we've said before on the podcast, I, I don't have anything against Barry Bonds' records or the way he played the game or anything else. He he didn't do what I would have done, but he took every possible advantage to win as uh, in his time as he could, and he did it without even really breaking any of the rules that were in place at the time. It's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, you can't retroactively break a law. Okay. All right. Well, that said, um, I wish Bud Selig would go away, but he he, he kind of did, and then he wrote a book, so he's got to promote it. So, one more one more go around, Bud, and then we we say goodbye. Uh, especially with the Hall of Fame induction coming up this weekend. I uh, would turn it over to you, though, at this point for a final thought. Yeah, there can be some somber final thoughts this week. Um, Dang it! So just a, a so one of the major people involved with baseball prospectus, Rob McCown. He he passed away yesterday and you know he was basically without him the site wouldn't run ever. And but for me, like I got to know him a little bit and we used to chat about things and he was a really nice guy and it was kind of a sudden thing, so you know, he'll be missed and sorry to say that. 
or I'm not sorry to say that, but I'm sorry that I have to say it. And But uh, there's a really nice tribute on Effectively Wild's recent episode because those guys obviously worked with Rob when they were at BP, so people should go listen to that if they're interested. 100%. Rest in peace, Rob. Um, yeah, we're going to be pretty somber final thoughts because um, I, I, we didn't really tee up the, the Tyler Skaggs also uh, prematurely passing in his hotel room for the Angels. Um, you know, I... I don't get super sentimental about you know some of the things that people do in tribute but when when the uh the angels came back and and threw a combined no hitter um the day before his his birthday that was you know that was a a crazy and they were all wearing skags jerseys yeah everyone wearing um his his number 45 and and the next morning when i got up and watched the highlight of first the celebration at the end um you know with the catcher jumping into the into the pitcher's arms but then every single one of them walking onto the field and 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 you know quietly taking off that jersey and laying it on the mound in his honor i was just like oh why don't you just punch me in the gut one more time like that that was so moving um and so raw i was just mm-hmm. blown away by that um so baseball can you know can make you feel pretty pretty good it like the home run derby and and it can make you feel a lot of other things i don't even know what words to use um with skags so um you know also rest in peace for him and and i'm i'm glad that his teammates got a chance to you know stir up a little baseball magic and 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 pay a real tribute to him um which was also the day before his birthday, uh, crazy enough. So, yeah, uh, bit of a downer. We're going to pick it up for next week, I swear. Uh, but that uh, brings us to the end of the uh, program, which is to say I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 150, and we'll talk at you next week. 